Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter, Do You Death? Hello, Phoebe. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm all right. This is different. It is, isn't it? <laughs> We're sitting in the same room about three, four feet from each other. Face, uh, literally face to face. <laughs> How exciting is this? <laughs> Very strange after all those other episodes we've done where it's been uh, over Zoom yeah. on a screen. But here we are in the same room. Magic. It feels so different. It's really funny. <laughs> like, you'd do right there. <laughs> I can't sneakily Wikipedia things and Google things in the middle. I mean, you know, that's, that's what we do. The power of editing. Yes, and the uh, power of research on the hoof. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, the last two hours that we spent trying to work out how to get two microphones to input into Getting the laptop. two microphones to work. Yeah, we did a great job. But we've done it. So, uh, see if you can remember how to for do next it. time. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friday, so we're waiting to see what happens with the football tomorrow. Yes. So that's relatively exciting. By the time this goes out, it could all be over. Yeah, but the Euros will probably be over by the time this comes out, actually. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or, and, uh, and and it may have come home. Maybe. To England, you never know. You never know. Today, I'm going to tell you a, a story about a guy called Kenneth Peatfield. Okay. And it's a story that... I first heard when me and Richard went to this forensics thing that mum got us for Christmas. I remember. Just before COVID happened yeah. and it was over in Huddersfield and it was like a day talking about forensics and you did things with like fingerprinting and then it was like an activity on this crime scene essentially to find all these bits and pieces to try and solve this crime that had happened and it was based on a real crime and they'd like set up so we had like they gave you all like a, a, an area to look at so we had the house to yeah. look at and find like forensic evidence from this house that might point us in the direction of where to look next. Okay. Um, it was really interesting. It was a really good day. And they, were, they kind of told us this story to start the day so that we could get an idea about kind of how forensics can dictate a crime a little yeah. bit. Um, and I'd forgotten about it. And it literally came to me the other night and I thought, oh, that'd be a great thing to tell you about. So... Brilliant. Forensics is such an important part of modern crime solving. Yeah. And the advances that have been made. Yeah, um, and hugely for kind of getting justice for people, isn't it, around yeah. the evidence that can say get people charged, not just kind of finding people and finding out what happened to them, but making sure that justice is given to them too. Meticulous mm-hmm. searching and looking for things. That, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could deal with all the protocols, like having to <laughs> keep everything so clean and like logged and everything. I'm not, my attention to detail isn't that great. In, in their last episode, we were talking about that, program i watched buried in the house and in that one when they found this body Mm -hmm. there was a lot of just sort of soil and stuff underneath the underneath the house basically that he was amongst and even though he was just lying there they scooped every sort of layer of the soil and the dust away separately and examined it and layer by layer by layer until the whole body was completely exposed. Wow. And then afterwards they went through it three times, all this soil. Oh, my goodness. And eventually they actually found a bullet in amongst it all. No way. So they knew something must have to be there. Uh, but only um, after going through all of this stuff. Wow. So it's very important, yeah. the forensic. Time-consuming. Yeah. And a bit tedious. But so important. And I think what has what really sets us apart from crime 
even like 50 years ago that things yeah. that happened then and the fact that it's so difficult for people to become serial killers now because of you know obviously technology but the amount of just it's almost impossible i think that's the thing that you really pick up from all of these shows isn't it like it's 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 next to impossible to kill somebody and get away with it without leaving some sort of trace of you behind except we never hear about the ones i mean that that, that thought was literally (laughs) just going through my head (laughs) apart from those ones that we don't even know about that they've happened But, yeah, there's a lot of people who get killed. uh, There are a lot of different ways of capturing people these days, aren't there? Yeah. Just keeping, like, a crime scene sterile, for one thing. Absolutely. And not having loads of policemen trumping all over it. And that was Um, one of the big things with the John Bonet case, isn't it? The fact that they were just, like, letting the whole neighbourhood into the house and, like, passing donuts around and they put blankets on her and it was totally contaminated before yeah. and then even um when they were doing swabs and stuff they um the nail clippings they used to clip her nails weren't sterile they'd been used on somebody else before so it kind of contaminated all this evidence and that happens quite a lot i think well, right. not so much now but it did used to happen quite yeah. a lot i think where evidence was just completely destroyed because of lack of cleanliness yeah. essentially well, well yeah and that's even without any dna i mean mm-hmm. that that's another huge advance which yeah, um, yeah. DNA and mobile phones. Yeah, I think between the two of them and smart watches. <laughs> and smart watches. Yeah. yeah, the um, the the evidence that I don't think we talked about this. The evidence that they found on that smartwatch of that guy in Greece was the fact that she was asleep when she was killed. Oh. Um, her smartwatch showed that had like said that she was asleep and she was wearing it when right. he killed her. She wasn't awake and you know grabbed by hostages. She was right, asleep, okay. so she must have he must have just done it in her sleep. So that's how they managed to. Um, that on him figure out that what he yeah. was saying wasn't entirely truthful yes right anyway so anyway on that note <laughs> <laughs> your day in Huddersfield my day in Huddersfield so um yeah so Kenneth Peatfield he was born in 1949 in Manchester he was a heating engineer with Berry Council and uh he had a wife uh, Janet and a daughter called Helen and pretty normal life i think to all accounts for whatever reason um probably something to do with money one night in 1984 in the pub he casually asked a man to sort out the killings of his wife janet and his daughter helen who was 10 at the time um so janet was insured for fifty thousand pounds she had like a fifty thousand pound life insurance policy so um he said that he wasn't really bothered how she was killed or how they were killed but just get them killed um make it look like a bungle burger burglary and um he would pay them he offered them like a 5k deposit and said i'll give you this money if you could just you know off my wife and daughter so that right. i can have some money that would be great but the the hitman who was called bernard chadderton i don't know if he was like an actual hitman or just like a, a man in the pub who he just asked to kill okay. his wife and daughter um he was pretty appalled by this as you would be if someone just yeah. randomly offered you money to go and kill their family. Um, and he went straight to the police. Okay. Saying that he was he was sickened by this um, and he was frightened about his demeanour. And so together with the police, they arranged to meet again, mm-hmm. him again. And obviously and he was mic'd up. Um, and when they were there, Pete Field asked again and said, you know, this is what I want you to do. Um, and the police quickly came in and arrested him and sent right. him to prison. Okay. 
and Janet and Helen were obviously devastated, as you would be if you found out that your husband and dad was planning to kill you. And Kenneth was sentenced to 10 years um, in prison in Manchester for this crime. So when he was in prison, uh, he made quite good friends with his cellmate, who was a guy called Alan Craven. So Alan was a millionaire. Oh, yeah. He was a car dealer. Um, But he was spending time in prison for selling faulty car parts and fraud. Not a nice man. Mm. (laughs) Um, But hadn't arranged to have his family killed. Alan was also illiterate and partially blind. Okay. So while they'd spent time in prison together and getting to know each other, Alan asked Kenneth if he would help him to write letters to his wife, Susan. Yeah. um, Who was in her 40s at the time. And she lived in Sheffield and she was just waiting for her husband to be released. So Kenneth started writing these letters for Alan. Um, and in the process of doing that, managed to start an affair with Alan's wife, Susan, <laughs> as Kenneth. So when he was released in 1990 from prison, him and Susan had built up such a relationship through these letters <laughs> that they actually started a full-blown oh, wow. affair or living together. So they moved to... Um, they lived. He moved straight in with her when he came in from, home from prison. And then they moved to Burn Cross in Sheffield in 1992. Okay, was Alan still in prison? Alan was still in prison, yeah. <laughs> um, and things were going pretty well with Susan and Kenneth right. at this time. They were having a nice time together. Kenneth was enjoying, obviously, being back out in the open. And they had a nice, a nice life. Uh, Susan was quite well off in her own right, as well as kind of being the wife of Alan. She was a businesswoman. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they had a nice house. They could do nice things together. She was worth quite a lot of money. So things were going really well until summer 1997, when Kenneth met and started another affair, this time with a 17-year-old girl called Faith Warner. So he was pretty obsessed with her mm-hmm. and very quickly bought an engagement ring um, and she found out that she was pregnant quite quickly. Um, sadly, she did lose the baby um, at some point. But Kenneth regularly stayed with her at her house in Saddleworth. They had this like little love nest set up. Um, and he promised that he was going to leave his wife so that they could be together. But at this point, he was like in his 40s and she was only 17. I was so... going to ask, was he still married to his wife? No, so that had ended. Oh, okay. His, like, so his relationship with Janet had ended at some point, you know, who he tried to kill. Yeah. Um, that had... That had ended, I think, while he was in prison. Right, she okay. remarried and oh, right, um, okay, so. Helen changed her name to her adopted dad's surname. So right. she really didn't want to be associated with him, which is yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and him and Susan didn't get married. They were just kind of in a right, common okay. law marriage, just like living together. But he, so he wasn't really very discreet about this diff- affair. <laughs> he doesn't seem like the brightest guy asking random men in the pub to kill his family and then start an affair with a 17 yeah. and Susan found out about it Okay. Um, and she'd been discussing this affair with her friends and saying to them I know that he's having an affair and around this sort of time Susan and Alan had been going through a divorce pretty much since you know Kenneth had been released from prison since so, you know, for the last kind of seven years it'd been a really bitter long fought out messy divorce over all this money and it was finally fi- finalised, and Susan received about £181,000 from the divorce. Okay. And her and Kenneth then wrote 
mutual wills, so leaving the residue of their estates to each other. Right, yep. And she was due to um, have this money kind of land in her account in about April 1998. In March 1998, Susan Craven was reported missing by her friends. Ooh. Kenneth claimed that she'd left him on the 5th of March after discovering the affair between him and Faith. But her friends knew that she would never have left her dog behind because she was obsessed with her dog. But also, her friends knew that she'd known about it for a long time. So they thought, "Mm, this is a bit weird. Okay. Given his history of trying to kill his uh, wife and children before, (laughs) um, he was obviously of interest to the police. So he was arrested and questioned about the murder. Or he was taken in for questioning about the murder. And investigators, forensics, very quickly went to go and look at the house. And immediately things looked okay. But as they looked closer, they found quite a lot of spats of blood all over the downstairs of the house. So some in the carpet, some in the dining room, some on the curtains, up the walls. Some of it cleaned up, some of it not cleaned up. Wow. No trace of Susan anywhere, but this blood. (laughs) So because of that, they arrested him mm-hmm. and they charged him with the murder of Susan while they gathered more information. So that is when, on the 20th of April, investigators discovered a two-foot square concrete block in the garage. And this was going to be part, and like a new ornamental part of this patio that they were building okay. at this house. And there's some photos of the house. I'll, I'll share some photos of the house. Yeah. And they were asking Kenneth about this concrete block and he was really quite cagey about it. So they decided to split it open to see what was happening with it. And inside, they found the severed head of Susan Craven. Inside a two foot square concrete block of block. concrete. Wow. Yes. So her cause of death was never fully established because the rest of her has never been found. To this day, it's never been found. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, But they believe that he killed her either by strangling her or hitting her with a blunt object and then following her around the house, basically, to kind of finish her off. Um, And then they think that he cut off her head with a power saw and then disposed of the body somewhere and then encased the head so that um, you know the head would never be found, essentially, right. and put it in the garden as a, a nice ornament yeah. for people to okay. look at. A power, um, a power saw. Yeah, that would be messy, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be very messy. You'd have thought, yeah, you want to do it as gently, gently as possible yeah. to avoid going up the walls. But ooh. Apparently, before he disposed of the body, um, he actually showed his mistress what he'd done and showed, she, he brought her around to the house and kind of showed her the body under this tarpauling um, to use as kind of a bribe because things have been going a bit cold with them, apparently. So is this, this Faith, the so 17-year-old? Yeah, the 17-year-old. So at that point, um, he was trying to kind of win her over, essentially. And he said, look, I've, I've got rid of her, so we can be together, but also, look what I can do. <laughs> um Okay. It's not the way that I would try to not, not, uh, keep somebody's affection. No, not the best way honest. to woo. No, not really. <laughs> look what um, might happen to you. Yeah, um, literally <laughs> that. But also, look how rich I am now, because I've just got £181,000 that's going to land in my bank account because she's dead. During his trial, um, he tried to claim that it was actually Alan Craven who'd kidnapped her and murdered her and chopped off her head and left this concrete block in the garage, um, which is ridiculous on so many levels. 
um, the the main one being the fact that he was pretty much blind. So yeah. he couldn't have really done this, um, let alone, I'm sure he would have noticed if someone had been to his house and hacked up somebody in the house and left a big concrete block in the garage. But he was he was convicted of the murder of Susan on the 12th of March 1999 and sentenced to life in prison with a minimum sentence of 18 years. Okay. Um, and by my reckoning, that means that he could be out by he now because be. that was in 1999. Yeah. So, um, but I can't find any record at all as to whether he's been released or not. So right, I okay. would assume that he's still in prison. Wow. Um, after he was convicted, Faith came forward and said that she had actually been physically assaulted by him on more than one occasion. Oh, really? Um, and she'd been terrified that she would have, she would be like the next person that he killed. So, yeah, not a very nice man. Thankfully in prison now. But, yes, yeah, Susan's family have never had any sort of kind of closure about what happened to the rest of her. Her body. Or where she could have been. Wow. I know. So when you had your day at Huddersfield, did you actually look at some of the forensics around no. that case? They, just... they were just talking about the way that the kind of blood led them to be able to kind of arrest him, which gave them the extra time to be able to find right, the other okay. bits in the house. And the fact that they'd had to kind of look so hard to find all that blood in the house because it was quite well concealed. Right. I'm sure they said it was something like in the hallway it looked fine. And when they lifted up the carpet, it was like under the carpet. Or it had right. like new carpets put in. It was on the I'm floor. I'm sure there was something the, to do with that. On, on the floor under the carpet yeah. or something. Okay. Um, where there'd been an issue. I'm sure there was something to do that. They said it was something to do with the carpets. Um, but yeah, it was the forensics that led them to be able to kind of to this block of concrete yeah. basically wow. I found a head can you imagine going over a block of concrete and finding a head in it oh. yeah, it's pretty gruesome isn't it and the yeah. rest of it has never been found never been found um, but I th- I'm sure there was something else and I couldn't find this when I was looking but I think there was something else about the fact that he was doing some other kind of handiwork in other places so whether he'd kind of essentially buried bits of her in all these other gardens you know in concrete blocks all over the place that they'd never know where she was right um yeah or put her in blocks and you know, throw her yeah, in the so and she, stuff like that it could be concrete blocks out there somewhere that yeah. block bits of body in yeah garden ornaments garden with ornaments with bodies bits in. of body in yeah there's a thought there is a thought <laughs> yeah be careful we'll be buying houses in sheffield yeah wow okay that's a great story so yeah so, and um so, yeah. as I say you've never heard of that been in another podcast anywhere no i so. really thought it would it was going to be on the uk true crime podcast one because it's quite i mean in itself it's ridiculous what he did to her but the fact that he was in prison originally for yeah. um attempted, attempted murder. to murder his wife and daughter and then he you know set up this pen friend relationship with this woman that he went on to have an affair with and then went on to murder it's quite um just to get the money just to get the money he'd still have to have somehow got out of her bank into well because it, they had like this mutual will so uh, if she had died okay. she would have this money it would have come straight to him so wow yeah what a character what a character but you know similar themes we've seen before number one it's always a spouse number two <laughs> uh, money being the yeah. primary motivation for wanting to do this that is the story of Susan Craven and meeting her awful end at the hands of Kenneth Peatfield. Kenneth Peatfield, right. Well, there thank you, you very much. You're very welcome.
So did you say you got a, a couple of pictures that you can uh, share about the uh, Kenneth Peatfield story? Yep, I will share some photos on our Instagram and also our Facebook. Uh, you can find our Instagram page at... Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or our Facebook page. Dad and Daughter Do Death. And you can always contact us via email, which is... Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com. Uh, tell your friends and family mm-hmm. about us. We're available on all major podcast platforms. We are. So we're pretty easy to find. Yep. Dad and daughter do death. Dad and daughter <laughs> do death. Look out for our red logo. Look out for our red logo. <laughs> and thank you again, Phoebe, for that really, really quite fascinating story, really. You're welcome. Another one of audacity and ridiculous ideas that people have about trying to make money, basically. Yeah, absolutely. In a bad way. I'm sure we'll have many more tales with a similar theme. I'm sure, yeah, (laughs) I'm sure. So join us next time when once again, Dad... And daughter, do death.